Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And I'm so excited today, Lisa, about our guest because it's a fun topic that I think probably everybody universally would like to know more about. Um, our guest today. I, know is, I do. I want to <laughs> learn from her too, just telling you. <laughs> um, our guest is Melissa Vasquez, and she is with Central Florida Canine. Uh, she has years of experience in this field um, with service therapy. Um, emotional support animals. She was previously with um, Canine Companions for Independence for 13 years. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we can just get some insight into, you know, what, what is, what does this field, you know, entail and, and who can benefit from the types of dogs that, that are trained specifically um, as support. So Melissa, can you give us a little insight just generally into the, to this wide open field? Yes, of course. And um, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to be on. I really enjoy um, educating folks because I think that helps everybody in general and kind of knowing what's out there um, and what they have access to. So um, service dogs, there's a very wide range of um, ways that dogs can help people. Um, and the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, is basically the governing body um, that governs uh, what can be out there and what should be out there. Um, but most of the things you're going to see are going to be um, folks that have uh, mobility impairment. So anybody that might need some equipment, um, if they use a walker or a wheelchair, or maybe they just are unsteady um, on their feet and they need a dog to um, offer support uh, when they're walking and maybe their gait is not, you know, safe. So they need that kind of stability. Um, you'll see some of those types of dogs out. Um, you'll also see guiding dogs. So, you know, folks that have visual impairments, you'll see those dogs uh, assisting those folks with mobility as well, you know, getting around. Um, and there's some other dogs out there, you know, that we've seen work that actually will help folks that we kind of call it in the service dog world, um, if they have an invisible disability. So maybe a child with autism or um, a person that, you know, looking at them, they might not look like they have a disability, but they do. Um, and a lot of times you'll see some dogs um, helping those folks out. So PTSD is another one that you'll see. Um, and those dogs really kind of help just calm a person when they're having an event. Um, PTSD is an interesting disability in that it, it doesn't happen all the time, but you never know when it's going to trigger something. Um, so it might be a sound or a smell. Um, and that person is literally um, very stressed out and anxious about where they are. So a lot of times having that dog with them um, not only does it provide them comfort, but a lot of times the dog can do certain commands, uh, like a block command, which kind of gives them um, distance between themselves and what they might, you know, see as something that makes them fearful. So wow. um, there's a lot of things out there. And as long as it's, you know, the dog's tasks that the dogs perform is directly related to the person's disability. Um, and it's not just purely for emotional support, then that dog um, is legal by law to be there helping that person. Wow. So, so who, um, so, so it sounds like these are, these dogs are trained. You guys train a wide range, you know, of, of, of supports. So, so who determines, who, who determines the supports that are needed? Is it that, does somebody come to you and say, Oh, I need a dog who can do X, Y, or Z. Do you guys, um, you know, have some kind of an intake procedure? I'm just curious how, how this even happens. Yes, that's a great, great, great question. So 
the first thing we want to do is make sure that it's a legitimate um, request because unfortunately, you know, we'd like to think everybody's honest, but not everybody is honest. So uh, we'll have folks that, you know, they just want their dog to go with them everywhere. Um, well, that's not what we're about here at Central Florida Canine. So we, we want to enable people to gain independence. Um, so what we do, and that's our requirement, is that they have to have a doctor's note. Um, that just says, you know, this person could benefit from the services of a service dog um, if the dog could, you know, perform X, Y, Z. Um, and then we would assess that. Is that something that um, follows my, my guides in terms of, you know, does it provide the person with mobility support? Does it provide the person with the ability to get back out in public? Is it an anxiety issue like PTSD? Um, and then we kind of go case by case. So, uh, I follow the ADA pretty closely. Um, so if it's something that fits into what they require um, and what they see as a legal service dog, then that would be something that we would go ahead um, and start the process with that. And that um, starts with an evaluation. So I get to meet the person, I get to meet the dog, um, and then I get to kind of tell, you know, is this dog going to be able to do the work that this person needs the dog to do? Um, and is the person serious? It's a commitment. So once they start with me, they're pretty much with me for, you know, 12 to 16 months, um, you know, based on what skills the dog will be doing. So do you have to, uh, I have to bring the dog or can you help find a dog? That's my first question. And then what type of dog and disability do you most commonly see? Yes. So here at Central Florida Canine, they have to have either bring their own dog. Um, and if the dog is deemed inappropriate based on my temperamental evaluations of the dog, then we can help them find a dog that would be appropriate. Um, so we do both. Um, we try to, a lot of folks that don't go to organizations like Canine Companions for Independence, they don't do so because they want their own dog. They want their own breed. They want their own, um, they want to raise their own puppy. And, and with some of those other nonprofits, which is great, um, I love CCI. Uh, but you do have to basically use the dog that they feel is your best match. Um, and you basically get paired with the dog once the dog is already trained and adult. So they miss out on those puppy years. Um, they miss out, again, if it's a specific type of dog they want. So here at Central Florida Canine, we do, um, we'll find them a dog. And we'll also evaluate if their dog would be appropriate. Uh, and that way we give them those options. And so what are the most common types of dogs that you see? Is there a certain breed that does better? And then what are the most common disabilities you support? Um, for me, I like to focus on mobility. Um, and there's a wide range. So it's anywhere from, you know, somebody that has had an accident, a car accident, um, and they've got a spinal cord injury, and that causes them to need the assistance of a dog to help pick up items and things like that. Um, that's very common. Um, that was what I did mostly when I was at CCI was mostly more of those types of disabilities. Um, but here at Central Florida Canine, I ran into a lot more of kind of those invisible disabilities where um, folks are really wanting a dog that PTSD, they really want a dog to help them uh, reacclimate into society in a positive way. Um, and so that is really here, I've seen more um, requests for those types of service dogs than I have for mobility. Um, I have had both, um, but the most common one seems to be PTSD or some sort of emotional uh, need. So um, Melissa, you know, we have, we have some listeners from, from all over. And um, so to kind of reach out and expand this just a little bit. So let's say I'm living, you know, I don't live in Florida, don't live in Central Florida, don't live, you know, any, anywhere in our service region. Um, how widespread is this field? Um, it's international. So um, there's different rules in different countries, but this field is anybody um, can have a, a service dog, especially here in the United States. 
Um, of course, there's different ways that people can have access to that, whether they want to train their own dog um, or whether they want to go to an organization where the dog's already been trained for them and they just get matched that way. Um, but internationally, and there's actually an organization that's called um, Assistance Dogs International, uh, which is fantastic because it is a organization that actually will um, do checks and balances on uh, training facilities that do put out service dogs. There is no regulation um, through ADA, which is one of the big things that has been a frustration for all of us trainers. Um, and so the ADA, ADI, which is the Assistance Dogs International, will actually govern those, those organizations that are nonprofits that choose to have a uh, checks and balances system, which I think is fabulous. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so let so if I'm if I'm somebody who maybe lives in a more rural area, and you know, I'm in another state, and maybe maybe I don't have a big city, and I don't have a, an organization really close to me. What would be my first step if I felt like I had a child, um, you know, who might benefit from from some support? So the first thing I would do is first find out what is the dog going to do for my child. So does my dog need to be a good size? Um, does my child have mobility issues where I'm not going to get a um, miniature pincher if I have a child that has um, mobility issues, I want to get a bigger dog. So the first thing you kind of want to research is um, what ways can my dog help my child? And then at that, you want to figure out what's going to be the best breed. Um, there are some breeds that are great for um, you know mobility work. You want to look at temperament. Um, I would rather have a Heinz 57 dog um, that's the right size uh, and has a good temperament than to be too caught up on um, what type of dog it is. So it's, you just want to make sure first that you're identifying what the dog will be doing and that will help you um, choose a dog, whether it's from a breeder. I don't really recommend going with a shelter dog um, just because they don't, you don't know their history. Um, and so there could be a potential that the dog is fearful of something or its upbringing causes it to have um, low confidence. Um, and so as a service dog, you really want to have that dog be calm and comfortable in any environment. Um, so that was, that would kind of, that's kind of a little bit about how you would start going about that process. Well, I know um, having been in the airport recently when you could still be in the airport um, with a colleague who was blind, um, he and I were walking and he had me be an arm support, give his dog a little bit of a break. And we had two dogs come at us and he said, well, welcome to my world. Uh, he said, that's the world of, service dogs at airports today. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you talk just a little yeah. bit about this controversy and maybe this, what is an emotional support versus a service versus a therapy dog and maybe things that, that we should be thinking about in general about the practical use of dogs to make the world a better place for everybody. Absolutely. I'm glad you asked me that question, actually. Um, so first, I'm going to start off with a service dog. So a service dog is a dog that's been trained to help a person with a disability. So specifically trained to help that person be able to um, rejoin society in a way that everybody else can. Um, so that, that would be a service dog. A service dog helps one person, um, and that person is the person who has the disability. Um, service dogs are allowed anywhere in public where people can go. So as long as it's not an emergency um, room where you're having surgery, uh, the dog would not be allowed there, but the dog would be allowed in the waiting room, um, any restaurants, any places where um, you would normally go with the public is allowed. 
um, with a therapy dog. So a therapy dog is a dog that works with a um, at-risk population. So um, this could be a teacher in a school that works with um, the exceptional education program, or it can be a physical therapist that works with folks who are trying to heal from surgeries. Um, so with the therapy dog, it's handled by an able-bodied person and it is used for a group of people uh, where it's going to provide a service. Um, so therapy dogs only have access in the area they're working. So you can't you know, say, I have a therapy dog, but I gotta go to Publix, so let me just stop with my dog to Publix. No, so the actual person with a disability or with the impairment is what gives the dog the access. So you can't just take the dog yourself and take it into Publix because you have to go home on the way home and you have a therapy dog. So, Therapy dogs, again, they don't have access like a service dog because their handlers are not disabled. Um, they are used in a specific population and they only have access in that area. So if it's a school or wherever they're working. Otherwise, um, when they're done working, the vest comes off and they're a normal dog. Um, your ESA or your emotional support animals, um, that's a booger. That is one that's kind of caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. Um, emotional support dogs don't have to be, have any specific training. They don't have to have tasks. They literally are like a comfort blanket, except in the form of an animal. So they do have, um, a, they are allowed to fly on an airplane or to use transportation with a person um, to help that person get through that experience. Um, they do require doctor's note. So you have to have your psychologist write you a note that says uh, you have basically a prescription for an emotional support animal uh, and that animal only has access um, on a plane or in a train or wherever it is you're going other than that they they don't have access um, they are not a service dog they are clearly there just for comfort um, so they do not have training which is why you've had all these issues in airports with these dogs that have no training but they're potentially allowed to be there because they have a doctor's note um, and that really makes it very difficult for the users that actually utilize the dogs and are well-trained and are doing everything right. Um, so it's kind of a hot mess uh, when you look at it that way, but I've, I kind of use the opportunity um, to help people when they come here to kind of explain to them, you know, what it is and this is how we can help you. You can, you know, we can train your basic skills on your dog so your dog is comfortable. Um, and, and also with an emotional support animal, the only other um, perk, I guess you could say, is that if you are going somewhere and you want to take your dog to a beach house, but they don't allow dogs. Um, if you have an emotional support dog that has a doctor's note, you can bring your dog somewhere in lodging. So that would be an exception. Um, so with the ESA, you really only have access in two places. Normal pet dogs don't. Um, that would be on travel and that would be in uh, lodging. Um, and again, you have to have a doctor's note along with that. And other than that, they do not have access. So they do not have access in any other public areas. Um, a lot of people are just confused about that part. And so a lot of people don't understand the, the two questions um, that can be asked. So if you were to go to Publix and somebody was suspicious, they could ask you two questions by law to find out if it is a service dog. One is, is that a service dog? If they say yes, then the only other question they can ask you is, what does the dog do for you? So those are the only two questions that they can ask. So those are some good things to know um, so that that usually if folks are, are not appropriate and they're there, 
they're not going to know the answer to that question or they're going to answer it wrong. And that will be a good indicator that they are not a service team, that they are just a person with a pet dog trying to take the dog into Publix. <laughs> so I, I do have a quick follow-up question. I, I think one of the things that was funny is my friend said, as we were walking through the airport, he said, my dog has now learned to growl. <laughs> Uh, and he said, that's how I knew there was a dog coming at me. And again, because he was blind, he said, you know, my dog's job is to protect me. So is there anything new you're having to do in your training to help combat this issue in certain places with service dogs? I'm just kind of curious from that, that discussion. Well, what I basically do is I just make sure that the dogs themselves are very well socialized. So any dog that I put out there, any dog that I sign off on that I say, yes, you're an appropriate service team. I've seen the dog in public. I've seen you handle the dog in public. I've seen the dog around different environments, so different dogs. Um, that really, I, I just make sure that anything that's going out there is safe. So safe for the dog, safe for other people, safe for other dogs. Um, that's really, I'm just trying to cross the T's and dot the I's because that is a very important thing um, that you do see a lot of. Um, a teacher, is, it, is this something that I could utilize if I felt like it would benefit my classroom? you know, contact those folks that are going to have the say-so. So if it's your administrator, um, if you're in the school, you definitely want to speak with them. Um, if it's, you know, an area, maybe if you're working at a, uh, like a geriatric community, you would want to ask them. A lot of places have their own therapy dog program already. Um, and so what you would first do is figure out who you need to speak with, you know, usually call in some sort of administrator will give you the right, you know, funnels to where to go. Then you want to find out what is their program because a lot of places that they have an existing program like most places are going to want insurance so they're going to want you to be a member of an organization that will give you insurance so that if anything were to happen while you're working with your dog that the insurance would cover that so um, that's a really important thing to know and what we do here so we are not a nonprofit um, here at central canine but what we do is we prepare the dogs for their work as a therapy dog. And then we allow them to be prepared for the test that they might need in order to be a member of, for example, Alliance of Therapy Dogs. Um, that's a very common one in this area. Um, and so they would basically become a member. They would have to take a test, a obedience test, and they would have to have three visitations um, with different, basically clientele. And then once they that, they pay a $40 membership a year to belong to um, the Alliance of Therapy Dogs. And then that's where they get their insurance. Um, and then they would work, basically be representing Alliance of Therapy Dogs. Um, they have come to us for the training and for the evaluation. And then they would be able to have that insurance through Alliance of Therapy Dogs and then be able to work in a school or um, in a um, geriatric community or whatever it is that, where the dog is going to be working. Well, my last question for you is, uh, imagine I'm a kindergarten, first grade teacher, you've got two young boys, and I'm all of a sudden assigned a student and I read the first week of school uh, that the kid is coming in with a service dog. Uh, maybe I'm not comfortable with dogs or I don't understand what a service dog is. What, what's some of your advice to keep the kids from all wanting to touch the dog and play with the dog? And, you know, how do I as a teacher, what's some practical advice to me to be comfortable and make this a positive experience for everybody? That's a good question. So you would probably want to start, start by just educating the class as to what a service dog is. You know, that um, your classmate is just like you are, but your classmate needs help. Um, and is getting help from his dog, his or her dog. Um, and that just like any, any, any child in school, you know, they might get distracted. And when kids get distracted, then you have to stop your lesson um, and you have to redirect the child. So 
with the dog, it's the same thing. So you could explain to them, um, well, if you distract the dog, then, you know, the dog can't help your classmate, you know, so then you're going to disrupt them from being able to, to participate with the rest of the class. So the dog is kind of like, um, you know, can kind of use it that way and say, you know, by petting the dog, you're going to distract the dog from his work. And we don't want that. We want to make sure the dog can do his work. So we don't want to make it more difficult. Um, and then maybe a good idea would be um, to say, okay, well, you know, at the end of the first month, we'll have, you know, a petting party. So if everybody can be good, you know, with that pup and not pet the dog while the dog is working, then at the end, you can go ahead and we'll have, you know, a few seconds where everybody can have a chance to actually pet the dog when it's appropriate. Um, so that's something that we can actually even use in, in your classroom as a motivator. Um, so that's something that you say, oh, well, remember there's, you know, two more weeks and if we're good, then you can pet Fluffy at the end. Um, so you can, so that way they have an opportunity to interact because all they really want to do is say hi to the dog. They just want to pet the dog. We get that. We all love dogs. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there is a time and a place. So kind of explaining to them that, you know, it will distract and it will disrupt the dog from its job if you pet the dog or you talk to the dog. Um, so making a special time where they can do that and they do feel included, um, but at the same time, you're not going to be sacrificing uh, the child, you know, the job the dog will be doing for the child in the classroom. Thanks. Some great advice. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I was wondering kind of finally, um, maybe, I'm the, maybe I'm a teacher and I don't want a dog in my classroom and a student has a service dog and maybe a student with visual impairment, let's say, and I don't want a dog in my classroom. Um, is that something that a parent would have to have in an IEP for the student to be able to use that support in my classroom? Or is that something that I would, I would legally have to let the support animal in my classroom, even if it's not written into the IEP? In my experience, it would be that that dog is allowed with or without an IEP um, because the school is a public place um, and that dog will be assisting the child um, through its day there. Um, so unfortunately, that teacher, you know, might just have to maybe learn how throughout that year, learn how important service dogs are. Um, maybe have a new respect for the service dog and for what the dog can do for that child um, because by law, the, the dog has a right to be there. Um, so that would be something, you know, it would be challenging, but at the same time, you know, any kind of resource a child with a disability can have is only an asset. Um, so unfortunately, if that teacher doesn't like dogs, they might just have to suck it up for the year. I love it. I love it. Well, and, you know, to uh, wrap us up, first of all, thank you. You did a great job of educating our listeners and educating me on the differences in the right. And I do know that there's other service animals. Are there any comments you want to make about things beyond dogs and where people go to get those support services? Do you only train dogs in your facility? Um, yes, we only do dogs um, here in our facility, and that's what my um, focus has been. I have not done service monkeys or birds or horses. Um, by law, uh, the ADA really only recognizes dogs and sometimes miniature horses. Um, according to the last update that I read, um, that's really only the thing that they're accepting as um, legitimate service animals at this point. But um, for those resources, I, I apologize, I don't have any on those. Um, but on my side of the house, dogs, uh, any kind of resource you want, just give me a buzz. 
Yeah, well, and that was a great because I do think people have all kinds of misperceptions that everything in the world could be a service animal. So thank you for ending on that note. Well, we thank you so much for being our expert today on our podcast and sharing great information with our listeners. Uh, listeners, if you have further questions, please uh, join our uh, Facebook page at, Pract at Practical Access or send us a tweet at Access Practical. Thank you again, Melissa, for joining us and sharing your expertise.